Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Yeah, and the Department of Justice says the same thing as these internal investigators are saying. The Department of Justice will say about the False Claims Act, it is it's the whistleblower program is their number one law enforcement tool. Senator grasped about as effective as cutting corn, uh, harvesting corn with a rusty pair of scissors. That was Mary Inman, partner at Constantine Cannon. Mary is one of the world's recognized experts on whistleblowers, representing whistleblowers, and using whistleblowers to help fight fraud, waste, and abuse. In this episode, we take a look at some new exciting developments in the whistleblower arena and how, and more importantly, why the Ukraine war has really increased the exposure for whistleblowers, and now the government sees them as a key component in the fight against corruption, money laundering, and trade sanction violations. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today I'm thrilled to have back with me Mary Inman, partner at Constantine Cannon, uh, purveyor of all knowledge whistleblowing. (laughs) So, Mary, first of all, welcome back. Thank you so much, Tom. It's always good to be back on your show. So, Mary, we were recently at the Compliance Week 2020 conference, and you... uh, uh, talked a little bit about some of the uh, recent developments in whistleblowing, and I asked if uh, you might be able to come on a podcast and uh, expand on those. And so I wanted to start with the whistleblower reward program at the U.S. Treasury Department in FinCEN. Uh, and how does that really relate to a variety of topics such as corruption, uh, anti-money laundering, and even uh, the Ukraine conflict? Yeah, Um I, I think the best way to talk about the new FinCEN program is to talk a little bit about its origin story. Um, so the Congress has routinely, and certain members of Congress have routinely been trying to push um, an expansion of our money laundering laws to include these types of provisions, and they've kind of fallen on deaf ears. We had the perfect storm, though, when the ICIJ, the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, together with BuzzFeed News, put out a report called the FinCEN Files. And there was a whistleblower behind that, a whistleblower within FinCEN by the name of Natalie Edwards. And she basically exposed and revealed um, thousands of suspicious activity reports that banks had been filing with FinCEN. And it really showed a sort of slow walking and slow pedaling by banks in um, enforcement that basically allowed um, them to onboard clients who were suspicious and, and basically 
appeared to have all the earmarks of engaging in money laundering. So this story was really a big news and it allowed, uh, it sort of was the impetus for Congress to finally get this one across the threshold. So as in January, 2021, as part of the NDAA, the National Defense Author Authorization Act, um, it included a whistleblower reward program that allows whistleblowers to bring information about Bank Secrecy Act violations to an office of the whistleblower that was set up in FinCEN and, um, and receive uh, a reward. At the time, the law is writ was written and is written to say whistleblowers can get up to 30%, but they don't have a floor on it. So um, there's actually, and we'll talk about this more later, there's a new bill that was just introduced to try, sort, try and correct that problem and put a, put a floor in it. So that's just a little bit about that. But then you asked me, how does this relate to the Ukraine conflict? Well, of course, um, in January 2021, when this bill was passed, we didn't know that there was going to be the Ukraine conflict. Um, but it's very serendipitous that this now exists because it's a mechanism to allow whistleblowers to come forward and expose money laundering. And as we know, because of the sanctions that we've put on Russia and um, we're trying to, you know, we're not going to engage in active combat in, uh, in Ukraine, but one way we can put pressure on Putin's regime is to go after the money launderers who surround him. And in, in doing that, hopefully let those people put pressure in Putin to stop what he's doing in, in Ukraine. So that's the theory. Um, but how do you find out about Russian oligarchs um, and their yachts that need to be seized? You need to have people who are close to them, right? That's not information that is just publicly available. And how do you in incentivize people to undertake not only just the career risk of doing that, but also obviously the risk to your person? Um, of exposing Russian oligarchs. We've seen with the Skirpal poisoning and other things what Russia is capable of when it's unhappy um, with people. So it it's very important that whistleblowers be protected with the form of, uh, of monetary rewards that this program seeks to, to put in place and has put in place. So the, one of the things I find so fascinating about this, Mary, is whistleblowers started in the United States based upon a government initiative during the Civil War. And Abraham Lincoln, indeed, saw the value in having people, ordinary citizens, come forward to fight fraud, waste, and abuse in government procurement in the 1860s. And so we have a very long tradition of that in the United States. But really, starting in this century, we've, we've seen more of that, starting with Sarbanes-Oxley, then to Dodd-Frank, now the uh, AML law of 2020, and now this new provision. Uh, and if I can even tie it further, uh, within the past two weeks, Lisa Monaco has talked about the role of private citizens and private corporations in trying to combat money laundering. Do you see this as a trend that the government now sees as a, as a very valuable partner in their overall efforts from where you sit uh, at your law firm? Absolutely. And I love that you gave the history, Tom, of saying that this really the history of incentivizing whistleblowers to come forward and deputizing whistleblowers as basically private attorney general to help root out fraud and help 
supercharge enforcement comes from the False Claims Act, which is known as Lincoln's Law. Um, and it's really the reason that Lisa Monaco is absolutely correct here is that success has begot, beget success in the, in the area of whistleblower reward programs. So the success of the Federal False Claims Act is what inspired um, agencies and, and whistleblowers who helped basically bring False Claims Act cases that show uh, that helped expose fraud against the government. The success of the False Claims Act whistleblower provisions is what inspired Dodd-Frank um, legislation to include the idea of whistleblowers and a whistleblower tip line to help with their enforcement in the wake of the financial crisis. So the idea is that we, it's been tried and true that the best way to prosecute fraud is to have an, typically an insider's perspective. And how do you get insiders? It's hard to prosecute fraud from the outside, um, much easier when a whistleblower gives you a roadmap to the fraud. So seeing the success of the False Claims Act, the SEC, the IRS, the CFTC, the Department of Transportation, and now FinCEN have all seen the wisdom of providing a reward to offset the risks that whistleblowers un undertake to allow them to bring forth tips that help supercharge their law enforcement and their investigation. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be back with more from Mary Inman. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One of the statistics in the recent ACFE report to the nations that frankly stunned me was that uh, 4% of fraud inside corporations are caught by internal audit. 5% of fraud it reports come from whistleblowers. So even the fraud examiners will tell us that whistleblowers are the best source of information for inside fraud, insider abuse uh, bringing forward. And we seem to have finally... Uh, glommed onto that fact from a, a governmental perspective. Uh, is that something that you would you would see as consistent as well? Yeah, and the Department of Justice says the same thing as these internal investigators are saying. The Department of Justice will say about the False Claims Act, it is it's the whistleblower program is their number one law enforcement tool. Senator Grassley, who is the champion of all the whistleblower legislation on the Hill um, and was one of the grandfathers of the False Claims Act's amendments in 1986, and he's person behind the IRS whistleblower program for tips, he basically says prosecuting fraud without whistleblowers, because he comes from the Midwest, he says it's about as effective as cutting corn, uh, harvesting corn with a rusty pair of scissors. So without whistleblowers, you can't harvest the corn, um, is his theory. And it's so, it, it certainly... Um, has been has borne out to be successful, not just because of the False Claims Act, but you look at the statistics coming out of the SEC program in particular, which has paid out over $1.3 billion in rewards to whistleblowers who've helped them um, impose over $5 billion in fines and penalties that they probably would not otherwise have known about without these whistleblowers. So again, success begets success. 
One of the uh, most ubiquitous uh, visual representations of the early part of the Ukraine war was yachts, yachts steaming away. And uh, I have heard you say in other forums how those pictures and the uh, attempts by the U.S. to uh, sequester and capture those yachts uh, has really led to, I want to say, an unintended consequence, but a fallout uh, from the Ukrainian war, uh, energizing whistleblowers and raising the profile of whistleblowers. Have Has Constantine Cannon seen that as well? Absolutely. We've seen a huge uptick since the, since the introduction in January 2021 of this new whistleblower reward program for FinCEN. Um, we've definitely seen an increase in tips coming to us as, as protect, uh, prospective clients who want to bring tips to the FinCEN program. But of course, as soon as the Ukraine conflict hit, um, there's been an unprecedented amount of people wanting to report because of the fears, right, that we all want this conflict to stop and we all feel like one of the best ways to do that, the only way, you know, that a lot of Western democracies have seen fit so far to put the screws to Putin is to go after the, you know, his comrades that he supported that um, have gotten very rich based on lots of benefits that he's given them. Um, so that has that has really energize people to say, wow, we now actually have a government agency that not not only do they want our information, they've created an office of the whistleblower and they will, um, that means that they'll obviously investigate what we say, that they're taking it seriously, but that they'll also pay us a reward. And does that new energy, do you think that that will uh, actually trend over to the corporate world as well, where employees you may have uh, seen not simply fraud, waste, and abuse, but actual violations of the law, whether that be the FCPA, whether that be anti-money laundering or trade sanctions, uh, after trying to uh, raise the issue internally, will go to the government or come to people like yourself who specialize in these types of cases and really help build out all of these programs going forward? Absolutely. And I think the, the the prominence of these programs and the success of these other programs that are basically the predecessors to the FinCEN program creates an environment where it becomes enormously risky for companies not to listen to whistleblowers because whistleblowers now have, if they're ignored, as they often are, um, the statistic we have out of the SEC is that last year, 83% of all whistleblowers who received rewards under the SEC program reported internally first. So that basically means that the companies aren't listening. So if you're not listening and after the whistleblowers are reporting, there's an increasing number of attractive options for them to go outside externally to law enforcement. And that's certainly what we have been seeing and continue to see with this new FinCEN program. So the risks to companies continue to get greater and greater. Um, as you mentioned, the FCPA, that is the SEC has jurisdiction to enforce the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Um and that, in, coming from our London office, where I head our international practice, that's the number one source of tips that we get of potential clients is people alleging violations of basically bribery of, of foreign government officials by companies that are publicly traded on U.S. stock exchanges. So uh, would it be fair to say then that the, all of this has really led to the creation of a new class of uh, either individual attorney generals or many attorney generals or prosecutors who could work with someone like yourself uh, to help rectify some of these legal violations? 
Absolutely. I mean, I think what we learned with the False Claims Act, which deputized whistleblowers, um, is basically we have a bunch of a citizen's army, like you said, that we have deputized across the globe. It's not just, and I think with sanctions violations and Bank Secrecy Act, money laundering violations, a lot of this is occurring overseas. So we really need uh, this citizen army, not just in the United States, but around the globe. And how, how much better to do that than to offer some of the rewards that the, that the SEC has been guaranteeing and other agencies like FinCEN will be guaranteeing. When you get up to 30% of any fine imposed, that can be a life-changing amount of money or certainly enough to, to tip the scales towards a reward when you're trying to, to, to gauge whether it's worth the risk of speaking up. Mary, when we started this podcast, you mentioned the ICIJ report. They're well known for breaking the Panama Papers, the Paradise Papers, and other stories. Uh, I wanted to ask you the what you see as the role of the press or the fourth estate in all of this. Obviously, you work with John Kerry uh, around Theranos issues. You uh, interviewed him for Compliance Week 2022. So how do you see or maybe even how do you work with the press after they break one of these big stories? Yeah, I mean, what what was most important to our clients is um, to whistleblowers is really part of their journey. They're often gaslit. They're often um, stigmatized and retaliated against. Um, and part of their journey and their healing in the process is telling their narrative. Um, so in addition to obviously hopefully being successful, persuading the government to open an investigation, impose a fine, being corroborated that the information you brought was valuable and you're vindicated, um, the, the, the act of having the press actually tell your story and getting your narrative out there, not just in the legal context where you were the tipster, but to actually talk about what it felt like as a human um, has been enormously powerful to our clients in terms of their journey to, to getting beyond it, but also in inspiring other whistleblowers to come forward. You think about um, not just the fourth estate, but as part of the fourth estate, you think about the number of Hollywood movies and other things that, um, that feature whistleblowers that show their importance to society and sort of uh, we're all fascinated by the David versus Goliath story and the speak folks who s have the temerity to speak truth to power. So obviously the press is hugely important in that. But the last thing I'd say about ICIJ is it's the the amount of leaks, right? Every, all these Panama Papers, Pandora Papers, uh, Lex Leaks, all of these um, stories that they've broken have come from whistleblowers. Call them leakers. Um, you think about Panama in particular, the Panama Papers, the data came from the law firm Mossack Fonseca that was helping enable all of these um, folks to create trusts and other ways to uh, avoid and evade taxes. Um, that came from an insider. We don't know who that person was, but there was clearly someone inside who leaked it. In the case of the FinCEN files uh, investigation by BuzzFeed, we know Natalie Edwards leaked it. So to me, everything always comes back to whistleblowers, right? The fourth estate is only as powerful as its sources, and its sources have been and continue to be whistleblowers or leakers. And, um, you know, I just am amazed that what the last thing I'll leave you with is that on this topic is that um, the success of ICIJ and their um, process for allowing leakers and whistleblowers to not anonymously dump information on them safely has inspired um, 
in the Arab-speaking world, um, in the Middle East and Northern Africa, an investigative journalist arm called Arij, Arab Reporters for Investigative Journalism, to now have a similar reporting mechanism in Arabic for Arabic-speaking um, uh, uh, whistleblowers or leakers. So I think uh, we've heard all about Panama and paradise and all of that, we're going to have the Amman and the Cairo papers <laughs> coming soon. So I just think the fact that this is spreading to other investigative journalist outlets shows you how important it is to have these tools to allow whistleblowers to provide this information. So I have to shout out to my former hometown newspaper, the Houston Chronicle, who won a Pulitzer for their breaking the story about uh, the Southern Baptist uh, leadership conference or the Southern Baptist conference rather, uh, and hiding sexual harassment and, uh, claims. Uh, and they were able to talk to multiple women who had, had, uh, been, uh, harassed and had been, uh, attacked basically. Uh, so the press really, uh, can help in a wide variety of areas. I guess, Mary, I'm getting the sense that things are not nearly as siloed as they used to be. And we're beginning to see uh, a, a much broader understanding of the power and positive benefits of whistleblowers and everyone sort of understanding their role. Would that be an oversimplification? No, I don't think so at all. And I think part of it is um, just that for when you're a whistleblower, when you're sitting on information, as we describe most whistleblowers, I think it'll be uh, reassuring to your audience that you know the major overwhelming majority of whistleblowers try to report internally first and when they are ignored there now is an increasing number of agencies it used to just be the federal government if you were if you misappropriate if you had information about the misappropriation of taxpayer dollars you could use the false claims act now it's no longer siloed now we have a whistleblower program and about every agency that is trying to, you know, affect its mission. The SEC is there to protect the market and investors, our capital markets. How best to do that? They have now a neon sign, the office of the whistleblower to come forward. So um, it's just, it's a trend and it's a trend that keeps increasing. And, you know, there continues to be laws continue in Congress. There's now a, uh, uh, um, a law that, that we expect that was called a bill called the Enablers Act that is actually looking to expand the definition of um, the po folks who can be held liable for Bank Secrecy Act violations for basically money laundering, not just the banks, um, but now looking at um, arts dealers and investment advisors and lawyers and accountants to try to bring all of these people in who are also facilitating um the the corrupt corrupting influence of money and and corruption involving money laundering and 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 bribes and such so that actually is also going to be another expansion of the the FinCEN whistleblower program if it is enacted so um, I I just think increasingly government agencies are seeing the way to be in fact effective is to harness the power of whistleblowers and therefore um, there are whistleblower programs everywhere, um, and whistleblowers have an increasingly, increasingly large array of options of agencies to go to. I have clients. It's not, it's not unusual for me to. I have a client who has filed with three separate programs. His fraud that he was able to see included tax evasion, money laundering, and uh, bribery. 
So we filed under the IRS, FinCEN, and the SEC. So that shows you that siloing is not happening. Uh, let me go back to the legislation that's currently in front of the House Committee on Financial Services around uh, whistleblowing under the AML program. You mentioned, I think you mentioned that they were working to set a minimum. If I heard that right, uh, could you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so the IRS, SEC, CFTC programs, all of which are sort of seen as the gold standard for these TIP programs that agencies use to allow whistleblowers to give them tips, they all set a floor um, of 10% that a whistleblower is entitled to at least 10% and no more than 30% of any fine that the government imposes. Um, but the FinCEN program didn't put a floor. So there was no 10%. So it was up to 30%. So what that means is that a whistleblower could receive 1% or 0%. Um, and so with that is when you don't have a specified range, it will greatly deter the whistleblowers because whistleblowers hate uncertainty, right? They take so many risks. They need to be ensured that if you use my information, I'll, le I'll receive at least 10%, but maybe as much as 30%. And so our big criticism and that this bill addresses this is that without a floor, um, it's almost like a discretionary reward program. There's no guarantee you're going to get anything. There's a ceiling, but there's no floor. So they have addressed that, um, and we are uh, hopeful that it will, when it goes to the full House for a vote, it will pass and then hopefully pass the Senate as well. Uh, you, you said a few remarks about Chuck Grassley. I was wondering if you could really expand a little bit and talk about his role in this. I think you correctly identified him as literally the grandfather of modern whistleblowing. What has Chuck Grassley meant to this area? Um, so he uh, has, it will really be his legacy. I mean, he obviously has been Iowa's senator for a very, very long time. Um, and he has touched on many, many issues and dealt with lots of different policy initiatives. But he is known for his zealousness as to whistleblowing. Um, so that will be his legacy. That is his legacy. It's the legacy he really seeks to protect and what he wants to be known for. And he has earned that. He's earned his stripes. So he was part of, as I mentioned, the False Claims Act, which is the whistleblower that allows whistleblowers to file lawsuits in the name of the government where um, federal funds have been misappropriated. He helped um, with Senator Berman, a Democrat, to get those amendments to basically strengthen the law and to turn it into the success that it's been. And he didn't stop there. Um, the False Claims Act had an exception that said you can you can go and bring information about all taxpayer dollars, federal taxpayer dollars that misappropriated, but they had an exception for tax. And the fear was that you didn't want whistleblowers launching lawsuits um, if they're ex-wives and ex-husbands who are mad at one another that want to go after a particular tax fraud. It just seemed too scary um, to have tax. And that's where Senator Grassley um, so after the 86 amendments, I think it was in 2006, I think that he adopted or eight that he adopted it. He pushed for the adoption of the first whistleblower tip program within the IRS. It basically said the IRS needs to, um, have the power of whistleblowers to help them fight tax fraud. So that has been his, his legacy. He started with the false claims act, then to the IRS, and he has since championed 
the east he's been a thorn in the side of the irs and the whistleblower office there because he's been very disappointed that it hasn't achieved the success that he wants he regularly um uh in hearings calls hearings and writes letters to the irs that calls attention to the way that they have disappointed him they certainly have not had the success that the sec and cftc program has um and he is a thorn in their side so um, he is he is all uh, he's also um, usually the, the number one person behind amendments to the False Claims Act amendments to uh, new rulemaking for the IRS program to make it better. These are all things that he and his office have pushed for and succeeded. So he is our champion. He is our uh, godfather and grandfather uh, of all whistleblowing programs. And um, we are we are very much indebted to him. And. We wish him <laughs> a long tenure, but we want to know who he's going to be anointing to take over his role eventually. Well, Mary, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, Constantine Cannon, or any of the topics we've touched on today. What would be the best place for them to go? Yeah, so you can find our website. Um, we have a blog called The Whistleblower Insider. You can find us on Twitter. Um, you can find us on LinkedIn um, and on our website. Um, we're at CC Whistleblower on Twitter. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And we even have a YouTube channel. So uh, you can find us pretty much Googling anywhere and on most social media platforms. Well, Mary, it's always a pleasure to visit with you. And I look forward to continuing this conversation. Likewise. Thanks, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is not only now the award-winning FCPA Compliance Report, but it's the longest-running podcast in compliance. I hope you'll join me again next week for another episode of the award-winning FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.